Hear the word of the Lord from Mark 1, 14 through 20. After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As he passed alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, putting their nets in order. Immediately, he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with a hired man and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good job. All right. All right, good to see y'all this morning. Man, so we had that, uh, that wedding on Friday. That was real fun. Get y'all married over there. Yeah, yeah. And I realized during that wedding that I didn't like the big pulpit. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to make a little chat because I felt so close to everybody. And I like to feel close to you. I actually like y'all. I don't know if y'all know that or not. Uh, <laughs> all right, man. So let's, let's, let's get into the text. So one of my, one of my favorite uh, uh, Christians from history is a guy named Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Who's heard of that? Diedrich Bonhoeffer, anybody? All right, so look, some people have heard of him. Okay, so, so this, he was a pastor in Germany uh, during uh, the World War II, okay? And so during that time, uh, the Nazis were, were, were kind of, they're taking over, and they, were, they had this, this big propaganda machine. And uh, what was happening is the majority of the churches at that time were following the Nazi party. Even their hatred of Jewish people, they were just like, okay, let's just, we, we want to keep the peace. Let's not, let's not cause any issues. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was one of the few who said, no, nah, we're not going to do that. Uh, we're not going to follow that path. Even, even if the path of remaining true to Jesus costs us something, we are going to follow that path. And so he kind of started this, this little underground uh, seminary. He had this underground church, and he was training pastors and writing and preaching, and eventually the Nazis arrested him, and they brought him to a concentration camp because he didn't agree with the party line. Now, I'd like to tell you that the story ended all happy, but he died in that concentration camp for standing for the truth of Jesus, for standing up for the rights of others. And you can, you can uh, his writings, you can, you, can, you can go buy some of his books. It's really good stuff. But one of the things he says in this book called A Cost of Discipleship, he says, whenever Jesus tells a man to follow him, he tells him to come and die. That's what he says. You kind of get a glimpse into, into his thought process of what discipleship is. See, he didn't have this concept of discipleship that doesn't have a cost. He even talked about something called, called a cheap grace. See, a cheap grace is a grace from Jesus that doesn't cost you anything. It's a grace from Jesus that doesn't call you to give up something. And he says a cheap grace is not a saving one. Yeah? 
But, but, but he says, no, but, but, but a true grace, a costly grace that actually, actually challenges you, that's the one that saves you. That's the one that's, that's worth something. So we can see from the, the history of the church and also from the text that we're at today is that Jesus is a savior who makes demands. Right? What did he say? He came up to him and he said, I'm just glad y'all fishing. Have a good day. I'll see you later. No, that's not what he said. I see you're at your job right now. After five o'clock, you come talk to me. Now he ain't say that. He said, when you get your retirement in order, uh, you come and call me. I, I got some, some, something to do. He didn't say, he said, Come follow me. The implication is right now. And, and, and they, at great cost to themselves, obeyed. The way of Jesus, the path of Jesus, is a path of sacrifice. But it's not only sacrifice. The principle of sacrifice in the way of Jesus also has a reward. That when Jesus calls you to sacrifice, or as Diedrich Bonhoeffer says, when, when Jesus calls you to die, he also says, I have a life for you as well. I have a better way for you. And so we see that, that if we are going to follow Jesus, it costs us something, but we also gain something. The kingdom of God is received through repentance and faith. All the good things, the blessings, the, 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 the knowledge of who Jesus is, it is received through repentance. And I don't know about you, repentance is hard. Being honest about your sin and saying, I don't want to do that anymore is hard. Or maybe it's just me. Maybe y'all real perfect. Somebody else want to come up and preach. Listen, may, may, I think it's hard, okay? But I think in this text and in the life of Jesus, we will see that it is worth it. Let's ask the Lord for help. Lord Jesus, would you help us to understand your word, that, that we would, would see what you are saying so, so clearly, that we would hear you clearly, and that we would respond in obedience, and that you would give us the joy that obedience produces. In Jesus' name, amen. So we start off, we see there is a cost to preaching the truth. In verse 14, it says, after John, that's John the Baptist, after John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Now, it's really interesting. You could just pass over that real quick. But hold up. Why is John in jail? He a preacher, right? Usually when preachers go to jail, it's not good. Okay. But John is in jail, and it doesn't say anything about him doing anything wrong. Actually, if you go back a couple of verses, what he was doing is he was preaching the news that the kingdom of God was coming. And here's the interesting thing. John would, would kind of get in your business a little bit. He, he, would, he would talk about some, some demands that the kingdom of God would make upon you. And so he was preaching one day, and there was this local king who was there, Herod. It was a local king, and he was like, oh, man, let me come hear this good, this good preaching. But the thing about Herod is, is Herod actually had stole his brother's wife. I know, it's a hot mess, okay? So I don't know the setting. I don't know what was happening. But sometime in the middle of John preaching, he was like, by the way, Herod, what you did is wrong. Now, that would have been awkward. And he, he was in his feelings. And so he arrested John and eventually killed him. 
So see, there, there is a cost to preaching what is true. See, the gospel is always received as good until it steps into the realm of your morality, right? We love to hear about grace, but when the demands start coming, we're like, wait a minute, hold up. John the Baptist was not arrested for telling people to be nice to each other. And for the matter, Jesus Christ wasn't crucified because he was like, just be nice to each other. They actually made some demands, and, and the demands offended people and had people react certain ways. John was arrested for confronting sin. There are a lot of times when I'm having conversations with folks, I want them to follow Jesus, and you talk about the grace of God, and everybody's feeling all happy. They had the butterflies, you know. They're like, oh man, Jesus loves me, this I know. Are they feeling all good about it? But then, but then you're like, let me just, let me make it, let me make it 100% real. We're talking about, yo, we about, I want you to, he's like, I want to get baptized. Like, oh, that's great. Let's talk about what that entails, what kind of life that entails. And we start getting into the weeds. Hey, man, if you're going to make this declaration that you're going to follow Jesus, there's this area and this area and this area that you don't have to change immediately, but, but the Lord's going to want you to say no to those things. And you're going to have to start walking in obedience. And you can see the facial expression change. They real have then a, oh, I have to do what now? It's all fun until you start getting into people's morality. The fact of the matter is, is biblical truth is an equal opportunity offender. You know, it, it offends what I would say would be the left. You know, the, the progressive, they shrink from speech about personal morality. Freedom, freedom, freedom until you tell me what to do with my body. Yeah? And the right, a lot of times, uh, the conservatives shrink from speech about corporate responsibility. Hey, man, you, you need, you, need, you, you got to put your money where your mouth is and care for those, those people over there. It's an equal opportunity offender. And it's going to offend all of us differently in different places because we all have our pet peeves and whatnot. But the reality is, if you are going to come to face biblical truth, it will at some point offend you. And if Jesus does not offend you in some area, then you are not following Jesus. You're following a picture that you made up of Jesus. If Jesus doesn't challenge you in some area of your life, then you are following a fake Jesus that you made up to make yourself feel better. But no, when, when, when Jesus says, you come and follow me, there's going to be some area where you're like, but can I keep that one though? And he's going to say, no, <laughs> you cannot. In verse 14 and 15, we see that Jesus brings the kingdom of God to those who repent and believe. Verse 14, after John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So we got to define our terms a little bit. What does it mean? That the, what is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God coming near? The kingdom of God is life under God's benevolent rule, experiencing his blessing and protection. So think about this, like when you, whatever you think about heaven, you're thinking about that place that, you know, you kind of have all these pictures, you're like, well, it's going to be nice and happy, and God's going to be there, and I'm, I'm not going to be saying no to God all the time, I'm going to be changed, and everybody else is going to be happy, and Satan's not going to mess with nobody. That's the kingdom of God. And, and in the ministry of Jesus, listen, the future kingdom of God 
is breaking through in the life and ministry of you. So let, let me explain. Let, let me make a plan. So, so in heaven, will there be sickness? No, there will be no sickness. We'll all be, everybody will be whole. You know, no corona, no monkeypox, nothing. It's going to be awesome, all right? It's going to be good. Now listen, Jesus comes on the scene, and he begins proclaiming the kingdom of God, and then he starts healing people. Why? He is demonstrating what heaven is going to be like in his present reign. He's coming and he's like, let me give you some glimpses of what heaven is going to be like. I'm going to show you the healing that heaven brings. And not only this, when, when people start to follow Jesus, their hearts begin to transform. They begin to develop a taste for what's right and what is good. And Jesus says, look, when, when heaven, when you go to heaven, this is what it's going to be like. And let me give you a taste of that right now. See, the ministry of Jesus, and by extension, the ministry of the church is to bring little pieces and glimpses of heaven into our lives through helping and serving and preaching and healing. There's this idea, there's this theologian, if you are a nerd, you can study it. His name is George Alden Ladd. I know y'all are excited. But he talked about this idea that the kingdom of God has this component where it's in this life, it's already and not yet. Meaning this, meaning this, that when you, when you come to know Jesus, the alreadiness of it is you know him. Like I, I know, I didn't know Jesus and I know him, but there's a not yet of it that I'm going to know him more. Right? Or, 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 or as you walk in holiness, you're like, I defeated that sin, but I haven't defeated all sins. But I have this reality where I, there, there's been some progress, but, but the ultimate progress is going to come in heaven. But the reality is that Jesus is bringing the futures of heaven into the present of reality. He, does, he did that in his life and ministry. He does that in us. He does it through us. And so, so Jesus said, hey, I want you to repent and believe because the goodness, the joy, the peace of heaven, I'm bringing to you right now. And then it says something. He says, he says the time is fulfilled. What is, what is he talking about the time is fulfilled? See, the, the, the time, the G, Jesus' moment in history was, was the time to fulfill all the promises made by God in the Old Testament. One of the chief promises is, is this idea that there'll be a new covenant, a new promise, a new, a new relationship about how God and man relate to each other. And, and some of the promises of the new covenant is that you would get forgiveness of sins. Some of the promises of the new covenant is that you wouldn't have, somebody wouldn't have to tell you to know God, but that you would know God yourself. Some of the promises of the new covenant is that love and that joy and that peace. In other words, it's this idea that the realities of heaven are coming, and Jesus is here to bring us the promised blessings of God. He's saying that time is now. I have come. You've been waiting on it. You've been hoping for it. You've been looking for it, but I am here to bring it to you right now. But he says there's something that is required for you to access it. He said you have to repent and believe. Now, I like to do definitions because I like to be clear. What is repentance? One of, the, one of the old confessions of faith from 1689, it says, saving repentance is a grace through which a person, being by the Holy Spirit made knowledgeable of his sin, has faith in Christ, humbles himself with godly sorrow, hating his sin, praying for forgiveness, and with the strength that comes from the Spirit, makes every effort 
to walk before God. The idea is this. Repentance, if you want to make it real plain, is like doing a 180. You're walking this way, you turn the other way. The Greek word for it is metanoia. It means it's a transformation of the mind. I, I, I understood and thought and practiced my life in this particular way. But when Jesus comes, he says, I want you to do the other thing. I want you to go the other way. You were walking away from God. Now I want you to walk to God. It's this acknowledgement of what you have done wrong. A lot of times we are afraid of acknowledging what we have done wrong because we don't really have an assurance of the forgiveness of sins. Do you understand that in Christ you don't have to sugarcoat what you did? You don't have to sugarcoat it. You don't got to be like, well, maybe I made a mistake. No, you know, it was, you was on purpose. You did it, okay? <laughs> like, I slipped up. No, nah, you walked right up into it. Okay, let's just let's keep it 100. All right, let's keep it 100. But you don't, you, don't have, you don't have to be afraid of that because you can be open and honest with your sin because when you confess your sins, what does Jesus do? He forgives them. So it's an acknowledgement of wrong. Repentance is an acknowledgement of wrong, not sugarcoating anything, and it is a commitment and a plea to follow Christ. It's a costly thing. It's a challenging thing. But it's something that brings life. See, 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 repentance is Paul turning from a persecutor of the church to a missionary. That is a living picture of repentance. And Jesus said, hey, do you want the realities of heaven now? Do you want that joy, that peace, that forgiveness, that wholeness, that healing? If you want that now, don't be sugarcoating your sin. Be open and honest with me about it and have a commitment and a prayer that I'm going to follow you. And he says this, this belief. What is this belief? It's again, from that same confession of faith, it's, it's trusting Christ, accepting, receiving, and resting upon him alone for your salvation. See, at the same, at the same time that you recognize that you have done wrong, it kind of, you're like, I don't, like, well, you know what Jesus says, uh, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Like you look at your spiritual life, if your spiritual life is a bank, you know, like a bank account, you're like, I'm in overdraft. Okay, I ain't got nothing. (laughs) And Jesus said, well, blessed are you. Because you, when you acknowledge that you have nothing to contribute, that is when Jesus comes and you can rest on him. You know, listen, listen, it's not that you have to go, well, I'm going to try my best to do better. Although you should. That's, but that's not why you were received. You're received because of him alone, because of his work alone. This belief that Jesus brings the promises of God to you. When I think about faith, kind of two, two things, two pictures I have in mind. Faith is when you sit down in a chair. Now, you could look at a chair, and we could talk about the chair, and you could be like, I think it'll hold me. But we'll sit down. Well, I don't know. Okay, that's not faith. You know what I mean? <laughs> now, sit, sit you behind down in a chair. Or you can be like, hey, man, let's, let's go bungee jumping. I, I really believe that that cord is going to hold me. It's, I, I know it's going to hold me. And if it don't hold me, I messed up, but it's going to hold me. And we get up there, and I'm like, all right. You're like, I don't know. I, I thought, do you believe in the cord or not? <laughs> right? Faith, faith is this, this saying, I, I, don't, I can't cling to anything else. My hope is not in anything else. It's in Christ alone. And if I hold on to him, I believe that he will protect me. 
So he comes and he preaches this message. The kingdom of God is available to you if you would repent and believe. And then what we see in the next part of the verse is that the disciples demonstrate what it means to be obedient to the gospel. In verse 16, it says, as he, Jesus, as he passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. I mean, context is what? Context is kings. What is going on right now? So at this point, it's already established that Jesus has his profession as a rabbi. He is a professional teacher of the scriptures. So he has some sort of status to him, is what I'm trying to communicate. And that rabbis, teachers, were expected to pick the best and the brightest students to follow them. Okay? That, 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 that was the idea. You know, so he, he should have been looking in the places of religious you know, learning. He should have been going to seminary to find his students, or he should have been going to the, the Ivy Leagues, but he goes to the, the boat yard. It, listen, listen, the reality is this. The reason they in a boat, let's just keep it 100, is because they wasn't smart enough to go to religious school. They were regular folks. And so Jesus, this rabbi, this teacher, this one of distinguished status comes up to them, and, and they have to be thinking, Me? Me? I don't think, do you know me? You know I didn't do well on that test, Jesus. Do you understand? I'm not, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. Do you, do you know that? Imagine the surprise and the honor that Simon and Andrew must have felt that this distinguished teacher came to them and said, I want you to be my students. I want you to follow me. That, listen, listen, I don't know about you, but when, when I think about Jesus calling me, I don't have these, these, these misconceptions about myself. I don't know if I was the, the sharpest tool in the bag either, but nevertheless, Jesus said, why don't you come on and follow me? You know, imagine if you, you wanted to do well in business and you were trying to get your business acumen up and, you know, Jay, y'all know Jay-Z? He's a rapper. Jay-Z has a, has a very high business acumen, okay? Say Jay-Z was like, Jay-Z said, hey man, why don't you come me? I'm going to teach you to do business. And you like me? All right, let's go, Jay-Z. You know, like, maybe you don't know that one. Maybe you know Mark Cuban. Maybe Mark Cuban's like, let me tell you how to do some business. I'm going to give you, give you a chance on, on some Shark Tank. I'll give you the ideas, and I, I got you. Are you going to be like, well, maybe. I'm busy today, Mark Cuban. I got stuff. No, you're going to be like, well, I, I do need to make some money. Let me go on and go with you. You know what I'm saying? The, the reality is the call to sacrifice is seen through the worth of the one who is calling. If somebody random whom you did not know says, I want you to go do something really hard, you'd be like, who are you? I don't know you. But listen, listen, if God in the flesh if the one who is more excellent and morally pure than anyone you know, the one who was full of love and grace and also has all power and authority says, you, I want you to come. Ain't no time to, I don't know. No, no, no. This is Jesus calling you. That's what the disciples understood. I'll leave, I'll leave my job. I'll leave whatever I got to leave because you called me. What I love is that Jesus uses the skills that they have for his kingdom. Now, I'm going to be honest, I, I, I'm not a good fisherman, 
okay? Part of the reason I'm not a good fisherman is because I'm not very patient. I'm not, that's, that's not something that comes naturally to me. But fishing is, and it was a, a, a patience uh, requiring work. It was a repetitive work, right? You put the net out, you drag it in, and then you put it out. And I mean, I don't know if any day was, was quite new. You know, <laughs> you're just doing the same thing over and over and over again. And Jesus says, hey, listen, I know you guys have developed this skill of, of casting this net out, of doing the same thing over and over again, that you have this discipline, that same discipline that you used in that job you might not have liked. I'm going to use it because you're going to go cast out this word, and then you're going to do it again, and then you're going to do it again. And some days it's going to be awesome, some days it's not, but you're going to keep doing it again. He's going to use the things even the things that you don't even like that you have to do, he's going to use those things for his kingdom. Jesus has uniquely made you, and you have a special call on your life for his kingdom. And maybe the thing that you hate to do now will be the thing that God uses for later. When I was in college, I had a job. I was, I was a, a resident assistant. That sounds awesome, and you, you know, it helped pay for, for the room and board, but what it meant is I just had to go tell my peers what to do. That was not a fun job, y'all. I had to go, and listen, I went to a Christian school, so it wasn't just regular rules. Hey, sir, I know you don't know me, but you wear the hat in this building. Could you take it off me? It was stuff like that. I know, he looked at me like it was crazy. I know, it was weird. They changed that rule, by the way. Anyway, so I I had to get used to conflict, right? I had to have conflict over, like, I had to do room checks, all this kind of stuff. I had to get used to conflict, and I hated it. I hated the conflict, okay? I did not like it. But, but my wife would say to me, she'd say, you know something? You're one of the only people I know who could tell somebody to do something that they don't want to do, and at the end of the day, they still like you. I don't, know, I, don't, I don't know if that's a good skill or not, but hey, listen, I don't know if you know nothing about this job that I have right now. <laughs> I got to tell people to do stuff they want to do all the time. And by, by God's grace, y'all still like me. But like, I, he used the thing that I didn't like to do to prepare me to do the work for his kingdom today. Look at verse 19 and, and 20. It says, going on a little far, further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat putting their nets in order. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired man and followed him. What we get from this little passage is that, that James and John's business was a little bit better than, than, than uh, Simon and Andrews, because they had hired people. Okay, they, they, they had a more successful business. They, they had maybe a little bit more financial security. Maybe their family was a little bit more intact because they were with their dad. But even so, he says, I want you to leave your financial security and I want you to leave your family and come follow me. Now, maybe Simon and Andrew's job was so bad, they was like, I just got to get up out of here. But that was not the case for James and John. They had to leave some security to follow Jesus. The other day, you know, we were, I was at work, and, and Benny wanted to, to play this song for me, right? So we stand by the Jeep, playing this old gospel song. And the word says, I'll go even if I have to go by myself. The idea is this. Sometimes when you obey Jesus, everybody ain't going to come with you. But nevertheless, you still got to go. That's what what James and John, I I don't know what their father's reaction was. Hey, bro, (laughs) we at work. You like your food? You know, I I don't know what the thought was. But even if they had to leave something that they loved, they said, nevertheless, if I got to go, I'm going to go. 
And so we all have to ask our questions, what, what are you willing to leave in pursuit of Jesus? Maybe it's approval, yeah? Maybe if you start following Jesus, people are going to be like, well, what are you, man, simmer down a little bit. Simmer, I'm not going to lie, when I started following Jesus in high school, people was like, can you chill out? And I was like, no, <laughs> I cannot. I'm not chill about this. Maybe it means losing some approval. Maybe it means that you, that you, that you lose some money. Let's just keep it 100. Some, maybe maybe there, there's, there's a, a promotion or there's something that would cause you to compromise uh, your, your commitments. And you say, well, no, I'm not, I, I got to follow Jesus. Or maybe, maybe it's going into the unknown. Maybe Jesus is calling you to go somewhere. You're like, I don't know what it's like over there. I don't know what I'll see. I don't know what they're going to say. But nevertheless, even if it costs me something, I'm still going to go. <sighs> See, the reality is Jesus is calling each one of us to receive his kingdom now. The kingdom of God is actually what our hearts long for. These glimpses of joy, of righteousness, of peace, this, this, this picture of heaven that, that is available in our hearts right now if we would repent and believe. Maybe you're here and you're like, I really haven't for real ever repented. I really, not, not for I really haven't really walked with Jesus quite yet. I didn't know if it would be worth it or I was afraid of what so-and-so would think. Maybe that's you, but the reality is what you are leaving on the table is divine forgiveness. What you are leaving on the table is divine acceptance what you are leaving on the table is emotional healing. What you are leaving on the table is this vast, large family that God has to surround you with. Maybe you said, I don't know if it's worth it, but I want you to know that what your heart longs for is what Jesus has to give. And he says, if you would trust me, and you would say, I don't want to live that way anymore. I don't want to follow myself. I'm not going to sugarcoat my sin anymore. I'm not going to be fake about it. I'm just going to be honest and say, this is who I am. Will you take me? And he says, yes. Not begrudgingly, but with great enthusiasm. Yes, I accept you. I love you. Come to me. Maybe you've been walking with the Lord for a long time. But the call is still the same. The call of repentance and faith does not just, you don't just do it one time. Every day you're, you're called to examine your life and say, Lord, there's areas where I need help. And let me not sugarcoat it with you. Let me just be honest with you. And Lord, there's areas where I need to trust in you instead of myself. Do, do you understand that every week we, we pray some of the same prayers? And one of the things we pray is, may your kingdom come. That tells me that more of the kingdom can come. More of, of the evidence of, of God's grace can come in your life. More of the joy and the peace that the Holy Spirit provides can come in your life. And you're like, how do I access that? Well, Jesus has this one sentence. It says, says the kingdom of heaven is here. What? Repent and believe. Maybe there's areas in your life where, where God might be stepping on your toes. Maybe there's this thing that you need to give up. Or maybe there's, there's this thing that you need to do. Listen, listen. If you would give that to him, he will fill you with his kingdom joy. That is the call of our life. There's this, uh, this, this theologian, he's deceased now, he's a, he was a charismatic theologian, his name was John Wimber, and he said, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Now, in case you're not the best speller, 
uh, that's risk. <laughs> Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. To repent requires some risk, right? To believe God requires some risk. To obey requires some risk, yeah? I remember uh, one of my first jobs when I was in high school, uh, I was working at a shoe store. It was great, just playing. I was working at a shoe store, and um, there's a shoe store right next to me, and the boss of that particular shoe store had found out I was a Christian, and he just wanted to mess with me. And he would say the most blasphemous stuff to me about Jesus. He was like, hey, by the way, I mean, I, ain't, I can't even, like, it wasn't funny, y'all. I can't even repeat what he was saying. He would just say, I was like, bro, chill. Like, you know, like, he would just say the craziest stuff to me, trying to, like, like mess with me. And so I would spend time praying for him. And I remember, uh, you know, one day I was praying, and I really felt the Holy Spirit said, hey, what I want you to do is I want you to go tell him a parable. And it was the parable where Jesus says, hey, it, Jesus is like this, this giant rock, and if you would fall on him, you'll be broken. But if he falls on you, you'll be ground into pieces. The idea is, listen, you, you can come to Christ, and it might hurt a little bit, but if you don't come to Christ, it's going to hurt a lot. And I said, Jesus, I'm not telling him that. <laughs> he already said crazy stuff to me. <laughs> like, I'm not doing that. And I, was, I kept praying, Jesus, like, me to tell him, I'm not, no, I'm not, that's weird. I'm not doing that. <laughs> like, he was about to go on this, he was about to take a vacation uh, to New Orleans. And I really felt like the Lord was like, you need to tell him before he goes. Tell him this. I'm like, mm. and I did. I'll be honest, I didn't do it. But I felt so bad on this, on this trip, and I was like, I should obey the Lord. So when he came back, I was like, hey, man, I just got something to tell you. <laughs> like, I feel like I should have told you before you went, but let me just, and I told him the parable. And this man who straight up blasphemed Jesus to me, he looked at me. He said, when I was on my trip, I almost died. And, 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 and what you said is striking a chord with me. I'm going to church this Sunday. <laughs> It was very risky to say something like, it might not seem risky to you, but it felt weird to me as a 17-year-old rolling up to an adult talking about, let me tell you this parable, okay? But listen, listen, I'm sure it was risky to Simon and Andrew, hey, leave your job. Uh, I'm sure it was risky to John and James, leave your, leave your father. Uh, but that, that is what faith is. It's taking risks in obedience to Jesus, but it's really interesting because risk kind of means you don't know if there'll be a reward or not. But, but what we actually we do know, we do know that the kingdom of heaven belongs to those, yeah? You know, what I love about Jesus is, is Jesus, he never calls us to do something that he himself has not done. Jesus embodied the principle of risk and gain right? He is the eternal son of God. And for eternity past, he was in heaven where there was perfect joy, pure bliss. And he decides to take on flesh, on, on humanity, and come and dwell among our mess. And that's what it is. It's messy. He left us the, the sparkling clean man, uh, mansion in heaven and came down and, and, and was in the middle of our midst, and he lived among us. Listen, in heaven, all he heard was praise, and he comes down, and he hears ridicule. 
in heaven, when he tells an angel to do something, they're not thinking about if they're going to do it or not. But Jesus tells people things and like, I don't know, Jesus. He endures this life. And not only that, he, he endures this life up until his death. The one who experienced no pain experienced the agonies of the cross. And the one who should have been exalted is buried in the grave. That's a risk, y'all. But then what did he gain? Three days later, he rose from the dead with all power and authority. Not only that, 40 days later, he ascends into heaven and sits on the highest throne of all creation. And not only this, all of the things that he risked, he has this inheritance, this kingdom that he wants to give to us. Was his risk worth it? I'd say yes. And so if we are going to follow him, we ought to walk in his footsteps. So, beloved, we have to sacrifice to receive the kingdom. And this, it, it comes up in real simple forms, y'all. I feel like I call y'all to do simple stuff all the time, but that's just what it is, you know? Sacrificing for the kingdom means that we are serious about our, our spiritual disciplines, that we are serious that we are getting in the scriptures. Sacrificing for the kingdom means that we are serious about spending time in prayer. And I say this and I say it again. If you're like, I don't know how to do that, I need help, that is what elders and church leaders are for. It would make my heart so happy if you said, well, I don't know how to seek the, seek the Lord. Can you help me? Do you understand how happy that would make me? Don't, don't sit there and suffer in the corner in silence. If you need help, you better ask somebody. You know, sacrificing for the kingdom means showing up for community. We have a, I want you to hear this. Hear this. We have this, this, this conception, our culture does, that we can exist as a meaningful Christian without the community of the church. I want you to know what that sounds like. So, so Jesus says that, that, that out in the world are wolves, right, that want to devour you. And Jesus, out of love, says, I'm going to appoint shepherds for you in the church. And we got Christians out there talking about, I'm going to just go hang out with the wolves. You're going to get eaten. <laughs> Now, there's care and safety within the confines of the church. Someone who is not willing to, to live within the community of the church is a foolish person who will shipwreck their faith because they have not sought the place of safety that God has ordained. And so it means we sacrifice for the king, means we show up for the church. It means that, that we show up and serve our neighbors. I don't know if you notice, sometimes when you serve people, they don't say thank you. Do it anyway, right? The disciples sacrifice together for the kingdom of God. I, one of the things I love about the, the picture of these, these two sets of brothers following Jesus is I, don't, I feel like when you family, you can just be real honest with, with each other. And I feel like if one of them was tripping... They were like, look, bro, didn't you say you're going to follow Jesus? What are you doing? Didn't we leave the doggone boat? Why are you tripping? I just feel like they could just be 100% honest. Like, we didn't already left our daddy. Why don't you listen to him now? They could just be ruthlessly honest with each other. See, I, I imagine that it provided the, the context for meaningful accountability. 
That's why we have growth groups. One of the questions we ask is, how do I obey the scriptures? Now, the idea is not that you're just shooting stuff off. It's just like the idea that next time somebody goes, hey, did you do what you said you said you was going to do? I have the privilege of getting to meet with, with each elder once a month, and we, we do the same thing we do with the group. We go through these questions. And my, my brother John, he says, says, hey, remember the thing you said you were going to do? Did you do it? I need that. I need somebody to be real with me, to have that true accountability. Is it painful? Is it awkward? Does it feel invasive at times? Yes. But do we sacrifice for the kingdom? Yes. So, beloved, let's, let's, there's one more thing I'm to say. This one even in the sermon. But last Friday, um, so on Fridays, I, the, the sanctuary is open from 12 to 1 to prayer. And I understand people where I'm not saying y'all have to be there, but you can if you want. So I was praying. I was seeking the Lord. I, let me just be like really honest and vulnerable with you right now. Was 2020 hard for anybody? Dude, does anybody still feel like they're still kind of recovering? I'm going to be 100, okay? Listen, 2020 was hard. All right, so we did the 2020, the COVID thing. We're trying to get through that as a church. And, you know, people falling left and right. You know, stuff, stuff is going down. Like, like church doesn't pause just because COVID happens. People still live their life. People still got problems. All right, so stuff is happening. I feel like I'm not able to, to serve people. and we're, we're working really hard to try to serve and try to, try to go and, 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 and seek those who have, who have fallen away. And it's stressful and it's hard. And I feel like we kind of get out of that season. And then we start this process of this adoption and merger with Oak Crest, which is a wonderful opportunity, but it's a lot of work. And we're trying to make sure the building is okay. And there's all this paperwork. And, and like, Last spring, by the, by the end of the spring, I was done. I was, I'm, just, I'm so tired. I am so, I've, I've been running crazy and I'm just tired. And, and it slowed down a little bit for, for, for me this summer. And I, I felt myself going, okay, whew, I can breathe a little bit. I got some time to pray. I'm, I'm doing okay. And when I, was, when I was in the sanctuary on Friday, I was praying and, and I was like, Lord, what do, you, what do you want? What do you want from me? He took me to 2 Timothy, and there's a verse in 2 Timothy where Paul says to Timothy, he says, I want you to fulfill your ministry, to endure hardship, and to do the work of an evangelist. The idea is this. To fulfill your ministry and to do the work of an evangelist means that you endure hardship. And I thought, Lord, okay, you you got to rest a little bit, okay? It's time to get back to work. I want our church to feel that. I want us to feel the fact that we have to do the work of evangelists. I understand y'all tired. I understand 2020 and 20. I understand it's, it's been tiring, but there is a community around us that's hurting. And we have to fulfill our ministry. We have to endure hardship. We have to, have to do the work of evangelists. You're like, how? How do we do that? I'm glad you asked. How do we do that? You know, Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to be fishers of men. So we have done something. We have, in a sense, created pools to go fishing at our church. So on Mondays, at, all here at the building, we have a ministry called Reach. Works with students coming out of uh, uh, the, the Juvenile Detention Center. Also on Mondays, Tom goes and feeds uh, athletes at Carolina High School. So there's, there's a pool there. On Tuesday, starting in the, in the spring, at 4 p.m., is going to be tutoring for middle and high school students. Then at 7, there's going to be open gym. There's a pool. On Wednesday at 3, there's going to be a program called His Turn Soccer that works with elementary school students from this community. There's a pool. 
On Thursday, there's the tutoring in the open gym again. On Friday, on Friday mornings, you would come with us to FCA at the, at the high school and do a Bible study there. And then on Friday afternoon again, we're going to have a soccer ministry. I'm telling you, you're like, where do I fish? I didn't, we didn't create some pools, y'all. The pool is there. So show up. Because we got stuff to do. And you're like, but I got to do this, and I'm tired. And da, 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 da. I'm sure that, that the, the disciples had a lot of excuses too. But nevertheless, Jesus rolled up to him and said, come with me. And it's not some, some random person asking you this. It's the Lord of all creation who is asking you this, and the one who can fill your heart with joy and peace. I got one more thing, and I'll be done. I know I'm kind of going, one more thing, and this is it. Over the past couple months, I say over, the, over this year, we've been really focusing on the importance of, of prayer, of slowing down to be with the Lord, of listening to the Lord. I really want you to focus on that, but I want you to understand, we're not, I'm not telling you to, to, to spend time with the Lord simply to lower your heart rate. I'm telling you to spend time with the Lord so that you can be strengthened, so that you can, you can work with the Lord as well. We spend time with Jesus so that we can work with Jesus. Our spiritual life is not meant to be one of only rest, but it's a rhythm of rest and quiet with the Lord and then joining him in the harvest and laboring. So listen, we we repent and believe, we obey, we sacrifice. Why? Because he has promised to give us the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your mercy and your kindness and the truth of your word. I, I ask that Lord, you can make a general word and you can make it specific to each individual. And so, Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would speak your specific word, your specific invitation to each and every person in this room. That they would know exactly what you are calling them to do. And they would would have this expectation of joy at the end of obedience. And that they would seek you and they would find you. Lord, empower our church to be fishers of men. Empower our church to do the work of ministry, to do the work of evangelists, so that we could see and taste your kingdom, and so that others could see and taste your kingdom as well. In Jesus' name, amen.